We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. This one, I think you'll just say everything and then I'll just say amen after everything. <laughs> and we'll go down that route. So we only have one really long section. But it's probably like one of the most oh gosh revelations. Yeah, I think it's, well, it's essentially the the end of the plan of salvation. And it's what a lot of what we do is dictated around. And a lot of, you know, all of the ordinances that we carry out, all of the commandments that we're following, you know, it's kind of culminated in this big description of what the afterlife will be like. And it's it's interesting that it comes at this time when they were kind of uh, trying to establish Zion and everyone was focused on that. And it just came from a couple of questions they had. And uh, this was this big, long vision that they had in this meeting. And it basically tells us, you know, this is what the afterlife will be like in basic, broad strokes of who's going to be where. Um, obviously, the danger is that you'll use that to judge people, right? <laughs> to say, well, this guy did this and this. And so he's probably a terrestrial kind of guy, you know. But what the Lord is saying is just here's what to shoot for. Here's what your goal is and here's how to do it. And yeah. I think that's the most important part because a lot of times it's like, oh, heaven and hell, you know, and we don't want to go to hell. We want to go to heaven. But it's like, what does it actually take and what does that actually mean? And this was one of the first times we ever get like a clear description of what all of that means. And, yeah, I think it was really important for the early saints to be like, oh, gotcha. Now I know where I'm what I'm shooting for. You know, yeah, I, I think this 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 is very similar to the pattern that the Lord has already established with how he's giving revelation to the early saints and also how he gave revelation in the Book of Mormon or in the scriptures. Because it just seems like they understood to this point, everyone understood this concept that there was a heaven and there was a hell. But there wasn't any very much any more detail about that. And it, it, it becomes more than just making the covenants. It becomes more about I like how it explains how you're willing, you know, in the outer darkness, for example, it's you're denying everything. You're yeah. unwilling to even agree or be reasonable. And then the celestial kingdom, you will accept the Holy Ghost, meaning you will accept that Christ and God are in charge and exist, but you're not willing to be obedient. And then the second one, the terrestrial, it kind of felt more like, you're willing to accept Christ and you're willing to pick and choose your obedience, but you're not all in. And then the celestial glory is more you accept and you do your best at everything, 
and now you you've done you've kind of gone moved past doing do's don't do's and don'ts and you become like they are okay and i think this is really interesting because it's not necessarily in agreement with what was a popular belief at the time um people weren't talking about degrees of glory you either follow the gospel of jesus christ and you're saved or you're wicked and you're going to hell you know and there's a lot of talk about that kind of black and white treatment of you know you're either obedient or you're not and in this sense it kind of shows how incredibly merciful god can be when really the the concept of hell this eternal torment and and pain and suffering is really an, a very small group of people that will ever experience that level of of uh, negative results you know the sons of perdition as it mentions you know i mean we're talking about like few people will gain enough knowledge and access to be able to deny it all to even qualify for that but what he's saying is yeah you're gonna have people that were good people never really accepted the gospel they acknowledged stuff existed but they weren't ready to accept that and they lived decent lives but they they never really did anything to follow christ but that so i'm not going to consign them to endless torment but they're also not going to reap the benefits of the celestial kingdom like and if you put it in that sense that universalism doesn't really account for those people what about the people who are generally not that bad but they're not valiant or they're not really trying to follow christ at all but they're not bad people you know do they get punished to hell or do they get sent to heaven like it doesn't fit and so this kind of shows how the lord takes all that into account and yeah we're making some broad brushstrokes everyone's even going to fit perfectly into those three categories as they were described thank goodness god knows everything and he will be the judge in the end but it just shows us that that's considered and that not all is lost if someone decides to not accept the gospel like they they won't get to have a fullness of joy they won't get to have a fullness of happiness but they're also it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be tortured the rest of eternity you know yeah i would i i really like the quote in the manual in the lesson where it said when it talks about wilford woodruff he said when wilford woodruff read the vision described in section 76 he said i felt to love the lord more than ever before in my life i think this is a very welcoming and comforting thought it's not that the lord is saying i have already set up all these places because i expect you to fail in reality you know to me it's always been explained to as this is the plan of happiness salvation to some degree occurs to everyone we are saved from physical death kind of everyone is who has made it to this state and then spiritual death is something that it's kind of our covenants and our commandments you know and and even even the individuals who aren't the greatest or have issues or like myself i'm just kidding (laughs) well will receive some degree of glory you know it's not kingdoms of damnation you know it's kingdoms of glory Um, and i really you know for me i thought sometimes when we discuss the telestial terrestrial terrestrial and celestial kingdom we often sell it as if these are different memberships and you want to be in one because you want to be you don't want to be in a lesser one and that's kind of a very poor motivation to do good (laughs) 
is, right. oh, now that I know that there's degrees and, and levels, and even amongst those kingdoms, we're told there's different levels and exaltation is the highest in the celestial kingdom. In, it's, it's kind of like in order, like it's important to know this, but it's important if, if you, there's no cheating the system, you know what I mean? You're, you have to become in, in, in by becoming like the savior, you have nothing to worry about. You know what I mean? Common belief at the time was universalism. But it was the idea that it says in the Revelations in Context book, the view of the afterlife laid out in the vision. That's how they referred to this this section, the Revelation section. Contrasted starkly with the beliefs of most Christians at the time, a majority believed in a strict heaven and hell theology of the world to come. Those obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ would be saved, but the wicked would be consigned to punishment. However, there were a growing number who felt that the, this view was inconsistent with other biblical teachings about God's mercy, justice, and power to save. For example, a young Congregationalist named Caleb Rich became troubled when his minister taught that Christ would have a mere few trophies of his mission to the world, while his antagonist would have countless millions. Rich feared that his own spiritual situation appeared more precarious than a ticket in a lottery. He eventually rejected his minister's doctrine and embraced what is now known as universalism. Simply put, universalists believed that God would not eternally punish sinners, but that all would eventually be saved in God's kingdom. Joseph Smith's father and his grandfather, Asel Smith, held universalist views. Most Christians felt that universalism went too far, that its teaching of universal salvation removed all incentive to keep God's commandments and would lead to an immoral, desolate life. Many early converts to the church agreed and may have felt confirmed in their view by certain Book of Mormon passages. However, Joseph Smith's vision of the afterlife appeared to some of these converts to advocate universalist teachings. Consequently, as people like Lincoln Haskins and Joel and Seth Johnson began to carry word of the vision to the scattered branches of the church, it created a stir. So here's the thing. The other thing that I've heard about is, you know, I've heard people say, if God is a God of mercy and he's a God of constant improvement and progression, that after this, if you end up in the celestial kingdom, he would not keep you there. Like you will have a chance to continue to progress and maybe even move up to another kingdom. And that's got kind of universalist concept of in the end, what will the punishments actually be when we can actually all be saved in the end? And my only thought about that is God is a God of mercy. That is absolutely true. He shows us mercy in so many ways. But at the same time, mercy cannot rob justice. And there is a, a certain sense of there need to be consequences to your actions. There need to be consequences to your decisions. And I'm not saying anyone's condemned. And I'm also not saying that we're all free to just do whatever, because in the end, we can all end up in the celestial kingdom someday anyway. But what I'm saying is the reason why there are three kingdoms and the reason why he outlines them so clearly is because there has to be consequences to what we decide to do here. This life is a time to prepare to meet God. It's a test. And if in the end, it's just like, OK, well, guess what? The test is graded on the curve and actually everyone passes, you know, and everyone's fine. Then it's like, what was the point? What did we learn? There has to be some sort of consequence to it. So you know, I, one of the things like here's the way I look at it. And it's very similar to what you're saying. But I also like to think about. In my life, some of the hardest turmoil or conflict or punishment I have ever felt is the realization 
when I learn something new or when I feel remorse for yeah. things that I have done to others and decisions I've made that have hurt others, you know, that kind of thing. And so for me, when I look at when it says in the scriptures, there's a um, so in verse 44, 45, and 46, where it says, Wherefore, he saves all except them. They shall, it's talking about the sons of perdition. They shall go into everlasting punishment, which is endless punishment, which is eternal punishment, to reign with the devil and his angels in eternity, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, which is their torment. And the end thereof, neither the place thereof, nor the torment, no man knows. So there's, something i don't know in this that not that i can relate to but i it's for me it's like are you okay live not you know we all buy into the concept that hey we're saved in some format we're gonna be eternal beings or we are eternal beings but can you live with yourself for eternity you know and in repentance i think is something that we it's it's the process by which we change and improve ourselves so as we i i feel just my opinion that i feel that you will be in the kingdom that you can accept there there reach there comes a time where you can no longer fake it till you make it type of <laughs> there there's no way that you can be that you can beguile god and in that moment of judgment, I think he and I will both fully recognize what I did well, what I didn't do. And when he says, you know, this is the this is where I think you you fall. It won't be like, well, yeah, but it'll be like, yeah, all the cards are on the table here. You know, we now have a perfect uh, knowledge of everything before this life, during this life and in the afterlife. And I don't think it will be up to debate. You won't have to prove your case before him he'll be like this is where you fall right and you'll be like yeah i think so well it's kind of the same temptation of individuals who think you can do like deathbed repentance oh i'll just or i'll just have my fun i'll have my couple wild years and then then i'll shape them up right before my mission right and sure that can work right if it's honest but it's less likely to be honest and work if it's premeditated Right. And so for me, I view mercy in the same sense. If you are planning on mercy, <laughs> then I f- like, for example, like you're saying, if you think you're going to be kingdom hopping, you know, as people tend to think. I don't know. I don't know that that makes it so it works. I think if you are of the desire to do whatever possible to continuously become like Christ, then I don't know that you'll have the kingdom hop. I think you'll end up in the right kingdom already. I think it's a false notion within ourselves to think I can't imagine myself doing celestial, living a celestial life. So I'll settle for terrestrial right now. I'm fine with that. And over time, maybe I'll feel better later. I don't know that that's the way that that's what Christ is asking of us i don't think he i think he's asking us to do the best we can right now yeah and the later will work itself out and just like the parable <laughs> here i go again parable yeah. of laborers 
different times of the day get the same reward you can liken it to to that to you know to me it may take me 357 years to get there and to you it may take you 50. you know i know that there is a final judgment i don't know that that occurs at the same time for everybody right especially because later in the doctrine comes we hear of individuals like moses in uh, Adam and others that they've been told that they've entered into their exaltation, you know, right. and I wonder, well, I, we, we kind of think that this is like we're all on the same race <laughs> and there's going to be one time. And so I, I don't know, you know, um, but I, I think the most important thing is like, where is your heart and are you premeditating, you know, I mean, this is a very comforting doctrine and it again goes to to show how merciful and loving our Father in Heaven, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are in our eternal family in the fact that, one, we have come to earth and we have, to those that don't have a law given, they're given the light of Christ to do the best they can. Right. To those that have the law given, they're given repeated chances to get better at it and share it with others. And then, then we have the spirit world time, you know, a time that we are to prepare to learn to teach each other and improve and then we have a millennial and then we have the final judgment and then we have these kingdom of glory you know so it's like the the atonement of jesus christ is so powerful that we have used it we we know we used it in the pre-earth life and we will continue to use it after this life well i i think it's interesting also to think about we this all sounds very familiar to us we're well acquainted with this principle. We probably had countless lessons about it and thought about it ourselves. Like um, I remember being very young and kind of having a family home evening or something about the plan of salvation. And I suddenly felt distraught because I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough to go to social kingdom. And my dad was like, you know what? First of all, you're like six. So take it easy. But then he kind of explained it to me, you know, don't be so caught up in what qualifies you for the terrestrial kingdom or the telestial kingdom. Those aren't the goal, right? And I think sometimes we, we start thinking about, well, where do I fall and where does so-and-so fall? And it's like, you know what? The goal is the celestial kingdom. That's really all that should matter to us. The other stuff is just to know, but it, it shouldn't really be a huge concern. Um, but then you think back to the, the saints at this time, when this revelation came out, they didn't know any of this. And all of this coming out, I mean, kind of going back to when it happened, according to, it's, this is also in the Revelations in Context book, according to Joseph's history, the two men, this is Joseph Smith and Sidney, Rig, Sidney Rigdon, were pondering the significance of a passage on, on the resurrection found in John 5:29, when the Lord touched the eyes of our understandings and they witnessed the vision. Not a sound nor motion was made by anyone but Joseph and Sidney, recalled Philo Dibble, one of those present. I saw the glory and felt the power, but did not see the vision. Dibble and as many as 12 others listened as Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon described aloud what they saw. The vision, as it became known, contained a sweeping description of what awaited humankind after death. It outlined varying degrees of glory, divided into three kingdoms, and so on. This was huge news for these people. They were like, it never had been ex explained in this way before. And it actually, <laughs> uh, Brigham Young, uh, also in the Revelations in Context book, which has a lot about this section, and I'm going to read a couple of sections from it, but I would encourage anybody who's listening to go read this entire chapter in that book 
about Section 76 just because it has so many good insights. But Brigham Young said, it was a great trial to many. Some apostatized because God had a place of salvation in due time for all. Young himself had difficulty accepting the idea. My traditions were such that when the vision first came first to me, it was directly contrary and opposed to my former education. I said, wait a little. I did not reject it, but I could not understand it. His brother Joseph Young also confessed, I could not believe it at first, why the Lord was going to save everybody. Perhaps in a knee-jerk reaction to what seemed to be hints of universalism, some early members overlooked the subtle beauty of the vision. Avoiding the extremes of universalism and the orthodox view of heaven and hell, it suggested that the sufferings of the disobedient would indeed ultimately end, but that the Lord also held out of the promise of unimaginable rewards for those who are valiant in the testimony of Jesus. So, yeah, the only thing that might come across as an internal torment to someone in the celestial kingdom is just the knowledge that you didn't go to the celestial kingdom. But I've also heard it described as a place far better than this earth. You know, you think about all the good things that we experience here. You won't have all of the bad things anymore. So it'll still be better than this earth, but it won't be anything compared to celestial kingdom. Yeah, I I, I do feel like that we'll, even in the celestial kingdom, we'll be far better people than we are now. Meaning, yeah. you know, it, to the point where I don't know that we'll be happy and in the plan of happiness and yet be tormented by envy you know of (laughs) other stuff you know and and i think like so in in verse 59 or we can start in well verse 56 and he's talking well holy moly this is so good so he's talking about those that receive the celestial kingdom you know and and he's kind of saying in 52, those are they that keep the commandments and have been washed and cleansed from all their sins, received the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. You know, so they receive the covenants, you know. In 53, they overcome by faith, meaning that they receive their covenants and they don't know everything yet, but they use their faith to continue to do the best they know how. That's what that means. It doesn't mean they're perfect. And then are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds upon forth all those who are just and true. Meaning the Holy Ghost kind of seals the fact that you are being honest and true with your effort. Whatever that is, whether, you know, in, in there's different levels of effort, there's different circumstances, there's different talents and, and abilities and weaknesses. But the Holy Ghost seals the fact that you are doing the best you can, you know? And then it says, those are the church of the firstborn. They are they whose hands the Father has given all things. They are they who are the priests and kings who receive of his fullness and his glory. They are priests unto the Most High God after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. Wherefore, as it is written, they are gods, even the sons of God. Wherefore, all things are theirs, whether life or death, or things present, or things to come, all are theirs, and they are Christ, and Christ is God's. So for me, this section, this section of this section, (laughs) really drives home to me the fact that mercy can be extended to us because of Jesus Christ, and the Father can allow us to kind of be writers on Jesus Christ's insurance policy, you know? (laughs) 
that's kind of the way I view it. It might be messed up, right? But the father asks us to follow his son. And then the son asks us, follow my gospel. Here are these covenants. And the covenants aren't like, they're not magical things we just do and wave in the air and, and hit two stones and, and, and a fairy comes out. No, it's practical things, you know. Do you promise to be conscious, conscious, conscientious, conscientious about your choices? And here are some of those choices. Here are some things I call commandments. The law of chastity, being, you know, honest with your fellow man, you know, paying a full tithe, doing these kind of things. And they're not just actions. They're not empty actions. They have deep meaning. And that deep meaning is its own reward because it changes who you are. It changes and it prepares you to be in a civilization, in an eternal realm with people who can do wrong but choose not to do wrong, who who know bad and good and good and evil and have all these things, like he says, that have all power and have all things present unto them, but don't abuse it, but treat other people with kindness and respect that would treat others the way Christ treats us. Him knowing so much more than us, having more capability, is willing to lay his life down for us. Are we willing to follow that pattern, you know? And that's what I see in in this revelation. It's like it's a huge invitation to understand that there are different types of compliance, like levels of compliance. And the most important one is becoming, not just doing actions and things. You know what I mean? Although those are important on the pathway to becoming, you know. Well, it also it also speaks to me just how I know that salvation is an individual thing, but it's still there's a there's hardly a salvation without service. And you think about one another and you think about the times when you've been weak and when you haven't had what it takes to be 100 percent obedient and maybe even don't want to be. And how someone has come along and encouraged you or said something that's made you strengthen your testimony or you've served some some capacity. Uh, Think about temple work. I mean. There are people that maybe right now don't qualify for the celestial kingdom under these parameters, but they're waiting for someone to do their work and they're willing to accept it if they get the opportunity. And so it's like to think about it as purely individual, it's only up to me and no one else matters. That's kind of flawed because we have a a heavy amount of influence on one another in our ability to uh, lift and encourage and even provide means. For people who don't have it otherwise um it just goes to show like on one hand we will have to answer for what we have done or haven't done on an individual level but on the other hand the lord gives us plenty of opportunities to help one another along the way so that we're not alone in this you know and that that shows a, a certain level of mercy that normally is not afforded in this type of thing you know in these types of concepts of your outcome is based on you know this meritocracy <laughs> Um, where we can actually, there's no rules about not helping each other. There's so much in here that speaks to how it's trying to describe something to a group of individuals, to us, that's kind of undescribable. Yeah. And, And it's really difficult because the way to describe it is things like glory, priests, uh, Mount Zion, you know, 
judges. I've been using <laughs> like sun, moon, and stars as reference points for us to understand. Yeah, just to understand difference between you look at the sun and you can barely glimpse it without burning your eyeballs, right? You look at the moon and you can look at it and you can see it's going. You look at the stars and it's like, and they all have a measure of light, but he's kind of contrasting the the stars are so much better than when you are. But that compared to the sun, you have no idea. You like you have no idea. And and that's one of the things that in no way. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say no way. I mean, this these kind of revelations we should take on very humbly and not use them to be like. That's it. I'm punching my ticket to the celestial kingdom because I obey the law and I'm part of the one and only true church. And if these other heathens would get their act together, they probably deserve what you're like. You're not making it, man. That's not Christ. You know, that's your you know, he wouldn't he died for everyone. And so. And he is the judge. You know what well, I mean? And just mere thinking like that kind of makes it so that it's obvious you're missing the point. And. Also, that if you do happen to be in a position like that, then now is your opportunity to reach out and help others to be there, too. That if you're just selfishly saying, OK, I'm in the right spot, I'm doing the right things and I'm good now. Well, that's not the that's not really following Christ. Christ would say, OK, I'm on dry land. I'm no longer drowning. Now I'm going to reach down and grab the next person and pull them up with me. Yeah, that's the so, whole concept. You know, it's. It's interesting to me that later on in the in the section, it talks a little bit about ministration, that that uh, the celestial kingdom will minister to the terrestrial and terrestrial to the celestial, and and that one is the glory of the Father, the other the Son, and the other the Holy Ghost. And for me, I I sometimes for fun I like to wonder like what's the next life like? Like what's what are we doing? You know. And I think to myself, <laughs> one is there's no way of really knowing. We know parts, but even in our own life right now, there is so much to do that you could live many lives and have many, many different experiences now, you know, in our life. And so I, I don't know. I just keep coming back to the Lord is trying to explain something that's really hard for us to comprehend. Because we live in a world that's governed by different bureaucracies, different ideologies, fallen policies or good policies and bad execution. You know, there's all of these things. And then historical uh, biases passed on from one, even from country to country or state to state or just what someone looks like and somebody else looks like. And we we struggle with the concept of unity and in loving and treating each other with kindness. And like in, for example, in verse 87, where it says in the terrestrial through the administration of the celestial, and also the celestial receiveth it as the administration of angels who are appointed to minister to them and who are appointed to be ministering spirits for them, for they shall be heirs of salvation. So I've, in the past, I've heard people talk about, well, you're just, if you don't make it to the celestial, you're just going to be a servant to those who did like, like, there's some sort of slavery, some sort of celestial slavery going on. Mm. And I don't think that's at all the case because the Savior said, who, who, him who is greatest, let him be your servant. 
not who, who he who is not as good as you let him serve you in 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 that's like the opposite way so i i'm just trying to say and, and i'm struggling because it's a really weird thing for me to explain because i think things very weirdly and i'm sorry about that but <laughs> <laughs> i think we should be very cautious not to jump to assumptions about how the organization and how this next step in our existence goes we we know some key things and this gives us a pretty good roadmap but overall you know it it it's all dependent on our agency and our willingness to follow the savior and be like him and that's kind of where i like for me where it always takes me after i think about a lot of things i always think all i need is to follow christ he came to be the example you know and these answers of the kingdoms and things to me it's more like the lord saying you have no idea what a wonderful thing i have for all of you so do the best you can you know yeah and, and well I, I also think that it's it's such a rudimentary explanation of what the afterlife will be like it's basically just to give us a snapshot of what it will be like that i think we will someday uh, when we get to the other side, we'll fully understand what all what everything is about and what all the implications are. But even I think it's in the revelations in context, it's talking about how we're not sure exactly how accurately recorded this was at the moment of the vision or like in how much detail like they saw everything and they were talking about it as they were seeing it. But who was over there writing down every single word they said and how much of that made it into this revelation? Maybe it was coming so fast and so much that they couldn't even explain it adequately. And so they're like, yeah, this is kind of how it comes across. And they were writing it down. And, you know, by the time it gets to us, we get kind of this even more simplified version of what they saw. So. Like to, to assume that we have now we know everything there is to know about the afterlife. I'm like, whoa, what we know is. We know the ultimate destination. It's it's interesting because Joseph Smith went into the grove to pray. And the Lord wanted to correct a few things. And what he wanted to let him know was, one, is what you're viewing as good behavior is okay, but it's not my gospel. And when the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, I'm sure the Holy Ghost was there, although he wasn't there like a personage, right? But I'm assuming, you know, when the father comes, he automatically he clarifies a lot of false traditions or beliefs that people had. He now knows the father and the son are distinct, separate beings, you know? Right. And I think one of the false traditions or knowledge that has crept in or been taken away or corrupted or whatever, that at this time, this revelation really clarifies is the fact that there isn't just a state of on or off. There isn't just heaven and hell. There isn't just happiness and burning forever. There's degrees. And those degrees are part in are, are tied to your ability to want and to be there, to, to want to do the things to get you to be part of the celestial kingdom, right? And which is very merciful because in an essence this revelation is saying everyone on earth is gonna be better off except for those few who purposely over and over again despite 
the best evidence decide to go against the, the light of Christ, right? Right. You know, and so, you know, I, I, it, I could, you know, I'm just trying to put myself in their shoes. To me, it would be pretty mind blowing to just like, because that, that false idea of heaven or hell, do what I want you to do or you'll be punished forever. Kind of like this servitude type of mentality is very different than the Lord in Moses, you know, says my working, my glory is to bring to pass the eternal life, the immortality and eternal life of man. Meaning his purpose, all of this that he's done is to bring to pass our immortality and our eternal life, not so it ends in misery, but so it ends in happiness. Well, in verse, if you if you go all the way almost to the end, where it says in verse 113, where it says in, this was the end of the mission, not mission, vision. And we were commanded to write while we were in the spirit. But great and marvelous are the works of the Lord and in the mysteries of the kingdom which he showed unto us, which surpass all understanding in glory and in might and in dominion. So they're even saying, yeah, we're trying to do this while it's fresh in our mind and while we're full of the spirit, but it's something incomprehensible, you know, like, you know, which he commanded us, we should not write while we were yet, which he commanded us, well, we should not write while we are in the spirit and are not lawful for men to utter. So there's things that they weren't allowed to write or share. Well, it's kind of like, I, I don't want you focusing so much on writing this down. I want you to pay attention. Yeah. See the vision. Don't worry about writing things down as the vision is happening. And then the next verse, actually, neither is man capable to make them known, for they are not, for they are only to be seen and understood by the power of the Holy Spirit, which God bestows on those who love Him and purify themselves before Him. Basically, saying like, and this is this is where I think the temple comes in, because we talk a lot about the temple, uh, the plan of salvation in the temple, and it's the same every time. But what does the Spirit teach you, and what kind of attitude are you going into it when you study these scriptures? Are you just like, okay, cool. So here's who goes to the celestial kingdom. Here's who goes. Or are you saying, are you doing introspection? You know, what decisions am I making? And then as you do that, and as you're seeking answers from the spirit, I think you'll you'll gain greater knowledge from that, which is what he's saying. There's stuff that you can only learn through the spirit. And it's not for us to write down. It's for every individual to seek out themselves. Let us be awake and not be wary of well-doing. For we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.